right, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I hope you're having a great day today. My guest is Wanda Tarini, also known as Dr. Wanda because she has a doctorate in pharmacy, and she's also known as the nerdy girl entrepreneur, which she is going to tell you all about. She is the host of the Rocket Fuel podcast, like as in Rocket, you're going to go Rocket, R-O-C-K-I-T. And her texting platform, catchwords.com, helps experts who speak and do media interviews connect with their, what she calls anonymous fans, is people who love what you have to say, but then never get a chance to connect with them after you're done speaking, Uh, be able to opt in to receive extra value from you. And I see all kinds of opportunities with this platform that she has built. And even though she is a highly analytical person, which she will tell you about, she has this awesome personality and she's so much fun. And I know you're going to learn a lot from her. So hang tight and I'll be right back with Wanda. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I have the wonderful, amazing, beautiful Wanda Torini with me today. Wanda, thank you so much for joining me on the show. We've been trying to make this happen for a couple of months now. It's so good. I know all these like, you know, sick kids get in the way. Darn it. You know, (laughs) how dare they? (laughs) I know it's that time of year. Okay. So I love that you are, you call yourself the nerdy girl entrepreneur. So tell me where that comes from. What does that mean? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I have a doctorate in pharmacy. And so not only is it a doctorate, it's like super analytical. And, um, and I realized that even after I left like the healthcare pharmaceutical like industry, that I could not release the analytical side of me. So, um, so I, I got kind of connected to calling myself the nerdy girl entrepreneur because I realized that one, it affected how I uh, looked, looked at all of my decisions, but it also delayed certain progress within my business becoming a CEO, right? Because I was used to getting into all the details. I was used to analyzing everything and also being the nerdy person feeling like, oh, I could figure it out. Oh, I could figure it out. Oh, that's software. Oh, let me check it out. Oh, you know, like, and I like that analytical process, but it wasn't very effective as I grew into leadership or even grew into an entrepreneurship mindset, right? Where you really, the fastest way to grow is to understand like, what is your like secret sauce? Like what makes you uniquely brilliant and then bring in other people to compliment you. So I've been in business right now for 17 and a half years. But honestly, it took me 10 years because I was the nerdy girl entrepreneur. It took me 10 years to actually start employing experts to help me. And I realized coming from that space, I wanted to be able to say like getting help, connecting with experts doesn't make you less capable and it doesn't make you less smart. It actually makes you a smarter entrepreneur when you realize that you should stay in your zone of genius and then bring on other people to be in their zone. So that was kind of the evolution of me being like, hmm, yeah, I'm nerdy. There's good and bad associated with that. <laughs> no, I totally get it. And I think that's such a great story to share because, I mean, I can guarantee almost every leader, entrepreneur, CEO can relate to that. 
Um, I w- had something that was very similar. Mine wasn't coming from like the same place of uh, being analytical, analytical like you. I am analytical, but not in like the let's dig into spreadsheets. Um, I'm very analytical problem solver, but like how do I take like all of this and see the pieces? Yeah. But I started out here at Stone Age um, uh, in my leadership journey directly into general management, even though I had never managed a person before. It was a small company and I had to, uh, you know, I was just one of the team and we all being really small, 30 employees, you all have to just do everything. And so as I grew, I based my leadership success on the fact that I knew everything that was going on in the company. I had relationships with everybody in the company that if something went wrong and we had to let a manager go or somebody quit, like I could just jump in and I could manage that team. And it really held me back because when the company started scaling a lot faster and my skill set and my focus needed to be on the future and building the business, but I was still basing my value on, you know, being in the day-to-day weeds, like the world's collided, right? And I was like, I can't do it all. And, and I wasn't being effective and I burned out. And that's when I was like, okay, I have to, I have to get out of this. So it was right around that 10 year mark when I figured it out, like, okay, I can't do this. Why does it take so long to figure it out? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, hey, for some reason, things aren't working as fast as they should be. And and I think what happens. So let's say you're within an organization, like you're in leadership within an organization. I feel like there comes a point where you're like the technical expert. Then now you start to have to learn how to manage up to to executives that really don't want to know the details. Right. And so I when I left a large pharmaceutical company. I left when I was in that that brink stage and I haven't yet learned about managing up. And it's what's interesting about that is if I were if I were able to appreciate that there's a different relationship. That executive director or VP doesn't want to hear all the details about how I did the XYZ, right? And so I never got to ref- to experience being on on the side of of managing up to that person and whittling it down. So therefore, when I became that person, I just assumed like, oh, I'll just be in all the weeds because I've been the doer, right? So um, it's really a point where you realize, okay, I'm not only the founder, but I need to be the leader and I need to be the CEO. I need to carry the vision. I need to represent the culture. I need um, I need to motivate people and that it's more effective to be spending my time doing that. And then the the little extra stuff that that is the secret sauce for, you know, for the company. But um yeah, it, and and I don't know why it takes us so long and I I think that anybody that comes from potentially a corporate environment or where they really feel like, "Oh, I have 10, 15, 20 years in in this particular space. So I'm an expert. So now I'm going to become a consultant in that space. Well, you will get stuck being a solopreneur if you don't start shifting and getting yourself out of like, well, you know, I I have to be the one that does everything because that's what people want to hire. They just want to hire me. Um, And I went through that stage and I grew my consulting firm. I grew it to $4.2 million in revenue, but I couldn't release it when I wanted to start another company. I couldn't get out of it because it was too dependent on, honestly, me thinking 
right? Mm-hmm. Me thinking like, oh, it has to be me. So I was in on every sales call. So of course, if I'm in on every sales call and then I'm in on the consult and on the, then I'm inherently establishing that, that expectation from the client. So when I wanted to transition off, like I, I created that problem for myself. So after that, I was like, okay, whenever I start something new, I'm actually going to assume that I'm working myself out of almost everything and then figure out what I want to stay in. And was there something that helped you figure that out? I mean, I I hear you, right? When it's like your whole business is reliant on you and you don't want that anymore. But, you know, what what was that final trigger and how did you break that? I don't know. I'm that trigger, right? Because it's that pull of every time of like, ooh, this isn't going the way I want it. I need to like jump back in and not let yourself do that. Do you have any tricks or, yeah. you know, ways to hold yourself accountable? I will say for me, my trigger was actually starting to, to try and have a family. And it was significant for me because I, I'm so lucky to have found my husband, but we didn't get married till I was 40. Mm-hmm. So then- we're starting this process. I've already like been running my business at that point for like seven or eight years. And, or actually my numbers aren't right, but for a while. And, you know, my, my doctors, my acupuncturists, my Reiki masters, everybody was just like, you are way too stressed out. And this isn't going to happen if you don't make a change. And I was like, crap. And, you know, this was my first baby, right? My business was the first baby that I, that I had. And, and, and it's like, I had to make, make decisions, but I realized that it was affecting my, my health. And so I had to start approaching things differently there. And in that case, it was, it was not only my personal health, but my ability to have a child, to carry a child. Right. So, um, now I, I feel like I'm even in another round of that where I realize well, I want to spend more time with my family and my kids. And like, oh my gosh, that stressed me out. I'm having chest pain. Ah, uh, I don't want to have chest pain. Like, yeah. I don't want to give myself a heart attack. Like, I I need to figure out how to structure this where it works for all of us. And then when I was younger and by myself, I was willing to make all of those sacrifices. I was the only one who was suffering, right? So, So the question is, you know, do you want to wait that long until all of a sudden you realize that that there's somebody else that's that's affected? I mean, even if you're single and running a business, you shouldn't be running yourself into the ground. And part of it is visioning, right? Actually taking time to vision what you want things to look like when you're 45, 50, 55, um, and to check your ego at the door. I honestly think it's it, it, an ego thing of like, I'm the founder. This is my thing that I'm growing. I'm going to hold on to everything. Nobody can do it as well as I can do it. When you start releasing, you wind up actually start meeting some really awesome people that actually bring some fresh perspective, you know, in, into the business. So I'd, I would also say it's probably connecting more with other entrepreneurs that have gone through it, right? So, so I feel good about now being able to share it with a quote unquote younger entrepreneur, but, you know, earlier in their, in their process to say, please don't do this. Don't, don't wait so long to hear somebody that is a self-proclaimed nerd. You know, I have a doctorate, I have all of these things. And, um, and I am actually 
a huge proponent of experts. And this is why I, I started like a rocket fuel podcast and a rocket fuel community, all, all of these things, because I feel that experts are rocket fuel. So I became, it became like kind of my mantra to, to, or my mission to actually share with people that um, if you don't tap into other people's expertise, then you're actually doing yourself a disservice. I think another piece of that is, you know, the willingness to kind of set some boundaries and I know the word boundaries is overused and it can have such a negative connotation, but you know, I was in something very similar with you. I was pregnant uh, and in my third trimester and I was just, I was, had way too much going on, you know, both work, but trying to figure out how it was going to be a new mom. And then all of the community things I was doing and I had a breakdown. I was like, I can't do this all. My mom was awesome. She said, if you had to be good at three things, what would it be? And I thought a lot about it. And I said, well, I want to be a great CEO. I want to be healthy, you know, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And I want to be a great mom. I want to be a great mom and wife. And so she's like, well, then do those things and say no to everything else. Yes. And I was really nervous about doing that because I thought I'm going to let people down and, you know, it, Am I going to feel good about myself if I'm not giving back to my community like I had been before? It was the best thing I ever did. And people, when I told people, I was like, no, I'm saying no. I'm just saying no. I'm saying no to everything that's not these three things. And so many people said, I wish I would do that. I wish I could do that. Yes. I want more of that. And I've really tried to stay true to, the, true to it. I've certainly brought more in as, as my son has gotten older and I have more capacity to do things rather than be a mom of a newborn. But boy, I will tell you, like, I think that whole idea that you said about visioning, you know, really knowing what you want for yourself. Well, really knowing the things you want to be good at, then you're going to have to say no to other things and be willing to put those boundaries in place. Absolutely. It's this thing we put on ourselves of feeling like we don't want to disappoint others and such. And I think by you doing it and actually communicating that that's how you're evaluating something, um, it actually gives somebody else permission. It's yes. like we need a permission slip to be like, oh, that's okay. Okay, yeah. I can do it. And and I mean, I hate to say it, but I think it's it's definitely heavily weighted on, on the female side. I'm not saying it's not a male thing, but there's definitely a, a heavy weight on um on women not wanting to say no and not wanting to disappoint and and just helping 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 and losing sight of 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 capacity and so to hear another woman and look at her and say i adm i admire you and i admire that you establish these boundaries then it it gives somebody permission to to do that the other thing that i would recommend um that i found extremely helpful was my husband and i four or five years ago, maybe it, it was a while ago, but we, we tested going out on a two week cruise to do our strategic planning. All right. And I kind of had the, I always have the, like the crazy kooky ideas, but my husband who is a project manager and an engineer is always like, once he's like bought into the idea, he's like, okay, let's figure out how to make it work. And so then we, you know, he kind of takes over more the nerdy and I get to be the visionary. So it's kind of cool there. So he's like, okay, how are we going to structure this? I think that we should do our strategic planning for our family first. What is our vision for our home life and our family for the year? And then we do the business planning and make sure that the business is supporting our personal goals. And I was like, sweetheart, you are smart. I knew I married you for some reason. <laughs> so we started doing that every January. 
we would go on our two week cruise and we're, we were just talking about it now like, oh, man, we, what happened? We didn't I, I let a client thing interrupt our two week cruise thing. And I think we're going to have to put it back on the, the list because um, starting with your personal goals yeah. and doing it with your partner is critical. Because now you're both aligned and bought into like, okay, this is what we want personal life to be. Then you go to the business and you start realizing that maybe some of the things that you were going to say yes for your business, you realize do not align with your personal goals and that it's all one interlocking thing. And if you treat it separately, like I was going to say, oh, let's plan the business, do the business strategic planning. And then afterwards, kind of as if it was separate, but since we're there, you know, let's do our, our personal planning. And actually, it's all part of the business strategic planning, because if you're not happy at home, if you lost sight of what you want a happy home life to be, then you're going to resent your business and you're going to create a jail, a prison for yourself. And I've been through that <laughs> of doing that. So it really has been transformational. And I will say that during COVID time, when we didn't do it, uh, we've spiraled, right? Where it's like, what what happened? And so we, we try and have like, we try and have our weekly meetings and that doesn't happen. We're lucky if we have once a month where we have like our personal goal, family goal meetings. Um, but I, that has been a, a huge, huge difference. And that allows you to mutually set boundaries yep. as well. At, like together, like what, what's more important when we have to make certain decisions. And, and so I would really, really recommend that. I mean, whether you have a family or just a partner or whatever, somebody else that's going to be affected by these decisions um, to do that. And, and of course I'm like, I can't wait to actually like open this up for other people. We're going to have like a strategic planning cruise for, you know, and he's like, wait, let's focus on us doing it for <laughs> Because whenever I find like a good thing, I just want to share it with everybody. <laughs> oh, I love it. That is such great advice because I do. I mean, I, I am guilty of that as well. Um, you know, I run a big company and my husband's an entrepreneur and he is growing his company. And so and we are insanely busy and we do a good job of touching base every night. Like I make I make dinner and he sits there and and we talk and then he cleans up and then I sit there and tell him about my day. Um, but it doesn't take into the like those big those big goals that we're trying to reach, um, at least from a personal perspective at all. And so we I'm totally going to make him do that with me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And you get to expense it because it's all part of your business planning. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I love you it. You just have to have it come. And and by the way, what we've learned is at least we do the two week cruise because we need at least three days of nothing, just yeah. relaxing. Yeah. Right. Then we're in that like relaxed mode. And then you're you're a little bit more open to truly visioning instead of sitting there with like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Like what you just came out of. Right. Yeah. You're more open to visioning what you would like things to yep. be. And yeah. then and then you get kind of inspired and, and, and such. And then you could start seeing how each of your individual businesses are aligned or, or misaligned with what you mutually want. But otherwise, you're you're literally just you know, it's just reactive. It's like, what happened today? What happened today? What happened today? And then like the year goes by, you know, like, yeah, shit, what, ha what happened this year? Like we didn't progress on anything. And especially if both of you are entrepreneurial, then um, inherently 
you are ambitious and are visionary. It's just you're not applying it to your home okay. life. Yep. And yep. so I think it's it's really exciting to to be able to do that. And any any little bit of time that you can spend on that is better than just moving things along. Yep. You know. Great advice. Such great advice. So are you, so is your husband, are you in business together? Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you do? Like give us it from your, give it from your perspective, uh, your voice. Oh my goodness. So it's interesting because he did for a while. So he has, um, he does medical device like design work, but he was a project manager and such. And so when, when, after we got married and he was doing his J-O-B sort of work, I invited him to to come in and be like our director of operations. And um, at that point, we were doing a lot of consulting work for the pharmaceutical industry. So it wasn't completely off or whatever. And it was actually great. We loved working with each other and such. And then during that process, I invented a, a texting platform. While I was in, in the consulting world, I was speaking at conferences and I realized, oh my goodness, there are people that are taking pictures of my slides and taking notes and I don't know who they are. And so I actually invented a texting platform that allowed me to offer the audience to text for my slides, for example, or to text for a guide. And I was able to turn these talks into literally lead generating machines. It was like crazy. It went from, because in that industry, you actually had to pay to speak at a conference because they knew that everybody in the audience was a pharmaceutical executive that you want to to be a, a client. So I would pay $10,000 to speak. And I'm like, how can I just walk off with people being like, yay, and taking pictures, all that stuff, right? So, so fast forward, I created this texting technology. I used it for my business. So to generate those leads, and I grew the consulting business. And that's when we mutually decided, we're like, wait a second, we grew the consulting business, but I actually enjoyed that work. I enjoyed the strategy of like optimizing the appearance and all that stuff. So that's when he decided to kind of take on his own contracts that were more stable within his industry. And I released myself from the pharma world and started working on what's what's now catchwords. So so that was kind of how like it was interesting how we we worked together. And so, at, for several years, we actually worked on the same project work, and then we kind of together decided to split up to for for the mutual um, for the mutual goal. But what was interesting is when he worked for me, at one point, I mean, we would talk all the time about the business, about the clients, about it. like there was no like separation, right? So he was like, "Okay, sweetheart, I love you, but the moment my head hits the pillow, I am no longer your employee," and I was like. Oh, that's sweet. And then he started wearing a pillow hat to work and it was worked out. <laughs> but I thought it was really, I thought it was really um, kind and mature of him to say in a kind way, like, this is too much. You're like, we need to create boundaries. And I heard him and then we, we kind of started creating ground rules of when you know, we were talking and, and we really enjoyed, you know, working with each other. So I'm thankful for that. I always tell him, I'm like, I want you to come back. And he, but 
he's doing well on his own right now. So <laughs> like, nope, I'm good right now, honey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so tell us how you've grown catchwords. I mean, what a brilliant idea and, and you know, capturing what you call anonymous fans. Uh, and so yeah. tell us a little bit about your journey to, to grow your business. It's a journey. It's a yeah. journey. Uh, I, so this concept actually, so I told you the brief version of it, but the concept um, of the texting for content. So let's say it's text for content. I actually conceptualized it in 2007 in a different scenario and then built it in 2009. So I was actually at a very large healthcare conference, literally like 35,000 international attendees. Okay. And I had another product because I'm always innovating. So I had another product that I wanted to test out for doctors. I had my booth there. And at the end of the conference, they literally were during the cleanup process, they were collecting all of the materials that weren't picked up by the attendees in the center of McCormick Place, which is in Chicago, which is one of the largest like exhibit hall areas. Okay. It was literally a human climbable mountain of marketing brochures, white papers, articles, all of this stuff. And it was like, I, I was always like eco aware, but I wasn't like on the extreme, but seeing that was like, wow, this is weird. So then there was a, a, a literally a full-size dump truck that backed into the exhibit hall area. I, I hear the beep, beep, beep. And so I went to the driver. I was like, oh, is this like a recycling initiative? And um, and he he said, no, it's just cheaper to throw it out than to send it back to the warehouse. And I was like, because I had worked for a pharmaceutical company before I left to be an entrepreneur. I had been in marketing. We had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on printed material. And I realized, wow, we we don't know what happens with this, right? And then I've also been on the attendee side where we carry the bag and we're sticking all the brochures in our bag. And then we get to our hotel room. We're like, yeah, and we chuck it, right? Because we don't want to put it in our luggage. So my brain was like, because I'm the nerdy girl, right? I'm like, this is a problem. And I I viewed it then as an eco-friendly issue or that it was not eco-friendly. And so that day in June of 2007, I said, okay, I'm going to develop a solution where people can electronically get all of these files of information at will and um, we don't have to waste all this paper. So I called it EcoFiles back then. And I went and I started pitching it to large, well, it took me two years to, to build it. And then I started pitching it to large companies that I was doing consulting work for. And they loved the idea, but literally they were like, Wanda, only kids text, like adults don't text. And I was like, no, kids will be texting their parents and parents will be texting grandparents. And I'm telling you soon, like this is going to happen. So, um, so I just got rejected so many times, so many times that I literally put it on the, you know, digital shelf. And um, and then I was running my consulting firm. And then when I experienced that whole like taking pictures of my slides and everything, I was like, wait a second, I, I have eco files. It was totally created for something else, totally flunked that market. Right. And I was like, but I can just offer if people want my slides because I have good slides. I mean, how many of us are like, oh, I wish I had those slides. And then somebody's like, oh, we'll email you afterwards. And then, you know, so um, the first time I used it uh, and meanwhile, this is an adult audience in the compliance and regulatory space. So these are not techie people at all. And 25 percent of my audience texted for my slides. 
And I was like, there's something here. First of all, that was like, like 70 five-ish leads, which was more leads than I had ever gotten. And these are qualified leads, right? Because they're like, oh, I'm interested in your topic. I want your slides, right? Um, more leads than I had gotten like exhibiting at the previous three conferences. So I was like, I'm going to nerd out on this. Let's see. So for over, for like two or three years, I started tweaking how I presented it, when I presented the, it wasn't called a catchword back then. I called it a Ecofiles code. <laughs> so when I presented the code, how I did it, do I do it verbally and then and then physically, you know, visually, uh, do I give out physical cards, like all of these things. What do I give out if I gave out this versus this? What was the response rate? And I got to the point where on average, 76% of my audience would text every time I spoke, which was like hundreds of leads every time I spoke. So then that's where I was like, it helped me grow my business. And that was fantastic. But I realized that there was something in that formula, right? So it wasn't just the technology, it's the strategy that allowed me to wield the power of the technology. But also without the technology, I would have gone around thinking like, oh, I, I speak well, like everybody claps and I was like, oh, come again. You know, so you, you feel good about your presentation, but that didn't mean that it actually yielded any money. And so like I had other um, other small companies that would exhibit at these conferences saying, Wanda, how can you pay $10,000 to speak? Like we can't afford that. I was competing against PricewaterhouseCooper, Deloitte & Touche, KPMG, right? So they can afford the $10,000 to have a junior level person speak. And meanwhile, like we're all here, the experts of our small little world boutique firms. And I, and I explained to them, I'm using this tool. So that's where my husband and I had to make a big decision because the consulting firm was literally, it became kind of like a cash cow in the sense of like our profitability and stuff like that, but it still required me. But the, where my brain was for that did not lend myself to being a visionary for a brand new company, right? Like I was doing very pragmatic work for compliance and regulatory. And it's interesting because even though it's part of who you are, like being a visionary is part of my DNA, but it, it's like I was suppressing it because I had to amplify my other skill sets, you know? So that's why, um, you know, when I talk about really connecting with experts and releasing certain things, like just because I was really good at that analytical stuff, it was suppressing my ability to be a visionary. Mm -hmm. And so we made the decision to release that work and and then, you know, work on, on catchwords. But it's been this like, up and down. And then of course I launched it. We, we literally borrowed all this money in 2019 to officially launch it to a mass market. Right. And we launch it March of 2020 for speakers who are speaking in front of live audiences the week of the national shutdown for COVID. Ugh, brutal. And it crushed us. It was just like, no. So for the past three years, we've been working on this like transition, you know, helping people realize that no matter what, if you're on a podcast interview, um, if you're if you do a, a video presentation, like there's still the anonymous fans that are there. And if I have the permission to to share a catchword, I would like to share a resource for the for the audience. But the uh, in person is really where 
like you're making a very deep connection with people. People are like really enjoying your presentation. And then we send them off to like follow us on social or, or like do something that's a very separate sort of thing. And a catch word is just, I mean, I've had clients that have kicked my butt, like 92% of their audiences texting. And I'm like, I didn't even get that good, (laughs) but, um, but, but they're doing it. So now I'm on this mission now that stages are opening up again and such. I'm on this mission to not only get a catch word in every keynote speaker's hands, like everybody who speak, who was speaking in front of a live audience should, if they're, if they're doing it to serve the audience and potentially, you know, um, work with them, but then also to teach people the strategies, right? Like I was able to quantify what was the difference between the 25 and the 76%. I was able to know what made those, those changes. Right. And, um, and so now I, I, I teach some of those strategies as well. So I kind of have like two different businesses, the technology alone for people that are like, yeah, I just have a ton of keynotes and I'm losing anonymous fans. Cool. And then when you want to really up level and kind of be a master of how to optimize, then, um, then I do rocket fuel, which is kind of the rocket fuel under the technology to really help you optimize. And that's like where I am today. And it's just like, I can't believe it. And it's still a struggle. It's still not easy because the stages are are starting to open up again. Like it's it's not like a full thing. So some people are like, I'm not sure I want to invest in this. And I'm like, man, one presentation made a huge difference for me. That is that is such an amazing story. Um, how did you survive in COVID? I mean, what did you do to, you know, to tweak the business? So I did start, I did start offering it to podcast guests. Um, that was one thing I was saying, look, you know, you're, you're on a show and you want to connect with potentially somebody in the audience. And if you don't have an effective call to action, then those opportunities are, let's say suboptimal, right? So if you ask somebody to just follow you, then they become a follower like everybody else. But if somebody took the time to hear a 20 minute or a one hour interview, that's an opportunity for them to really know more about who you are, right? So they're actually closer to working with you. Why would you throw them back into the the, the bigger pond with everybody else, right? So um, the other thing is having a resource to say, hey, like for me, I put together the, this guide on how to transform your talk into a lead generating machine. It's literally the strategies that I learned that I was able to quantify the 25% to get me to the 76%, right? But it was like, what did I do differently that made it more impactful? So that's what I offer. And then people are like, oh, wow, if they're aligned with, with me, my message, they're interested in it, then I'm just offering them more value. It's not like, hey, 20% off or whatever. It's not cheesy there. Um, but I find that my clients have to uh, be impact driven like that. Those are the people that I align with. Right. Like when we're doing an interview, when we're teaching, we're fed like our heart is fed by helping people. So in turn, your presence helps them and your teaching helps them. But by offering them an additional resource, it allows you to help them more. And so it feels really good and it doesn't take people into a sales kind of oriented um, discussion. And I think it stems from the fact that I was in healthcare. So when I was speaking, I couldn't have a sales pitch, 
you know, it, it isn't like the entrepreneur webinar. It's like, I'm going to speak and then sell you something at the end. No, that's not how it works. So I had to totally be authentically educational, yet realize that this is a business investment. And how do I actually take people to the next step? So by being really smart about what it is that I offer them, right, the, the what you offer them could either move somebody further away from you or closer. I'm going to give an example. So many people are like, oh, here's my, I'm going to give you my 10-step system of, da, 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 of how to do it, right? So accidentally, you're like, wow, you're telling people, hey, look at my system and take three more months to figure it out yourself because I told you I'm giving you my system. That's what we would all logically do. It's like, oh, and especially a nerdy girl, right? Oh, they gave me the system. I can figure it out. I'm going to read this and da, da, da. So that person literally just moved me further away. They delayed me working with them. And I tell my clients, if you, if you believe, if you truly believe that working with you would help to accelerate somebody's progress, why would you actually tell them that they could do this them, them, themselves. Like you, you have to respect that the fact that you have expertise that can accelerate the process. If you truly believe that, then you're doing them a disservice. So let's think about what it is that you can offer. Maybe it's, it's, you know, it's an exercise that they can do that helps evaluate whatever their situation is and gets them to be more aware that they need help or something, right? It's all dependent on what that client is, but that's where I'm personally more jazzed about the strategy yeah. part. And the technology was like, to me, I created it. It worked. I see some people get horrible results because they don't have good strategy and some people get amazing results. But now I know 13 plus years later that the market is ready to text for content, right? So I don't have to worry about that anymore. Now it's a matter of is somebody serving their audience effectively and it, it, are they getting it um, are they getting the best, you know, out of the potential of, of the, of the technology? And, and it has been a journey. It's been, I'm not going to lie. It's been borrowing a lot of money because when you're, when you're, um, when you're dependent on in-person presentations, you know, and then also switching to the strategy, the visibility strategy. So while we were trying to keep the technology alive and waiting for those in-person presentations and serving podcast guests, then it was just strategically teaching people how to plan for their visibility instead of it being extracurricular, mm -hmm. right? And I think too many entrepreneurs, especially that are coaches and experts, like having an appearance or, or appearing as a speaker or podcast guest or guest guest speaker or keynote, those should not be, oh, if I can do it, like those should be part of your plan because that's the fastest way that somebody's going to understand what is it that you do and how you do it. You know, what's your personality? Do I want to work with a person like you? Right. And, um, and so you need to put yourself out there. So I've spent a lot of time with that strategically in a nerdy way, right? Strategically planning for your visibility, which is actually something very emotional. Yep. I love this. So cool. So cool. So what is the vision? Like where, where do you think this is all going to go? So it's interesting because my vision, I had, I had them wrapped up like intertwined catch words and then rocket fuel and all that stuff. So, um, in 2023, we are separating them into two businesses. 
my my vision is actually, and if there's anybody listening that feels it would be a great fit, is to actually get leadership for catchwords that really knows the the SaaS space, knows how to grow um, subscription level, you know, software business. Because my my jam is really more like consultation and I tend to yeah I'm more of the personality <laughs> even though I, I even though I invented that like I recognize like so so with rocket fuel um it's about really helping experts be effective in their visibility but I'm relaunching the podcast so that I could feature experts and really introduce society because as entrepreneurs we we tend to be a little bit more you know observant about um just up leveling our lives or business and like being aware of experts. But the average person in society doesn't realize like, oh, you mean there's an expert physical therapist that works with women that used to be athletes? Like there's so many niches out there. And so I love that process. And then we're working on turning Rocket Fuel into a TV show so that more people will actually be able to to learn about these people. And of course, every single episode has a catchword, right? So we could serve our audience better. Um, so now when somebody learns about that woman who is a physical therapist for 40 year olds that were athletes, like they can actually text for her, her, her reset guide and for SM exercises and get to know who she is and then decide whether they want to reach out to her or, or not. So that's my, my big vision. My husband was like, you, yes, you invented the software, but you're not the he's the engineer tinkerer. Like he doesn't want to be visible. He's like, you need to be out there. <laughs> and I enjoy being out there for the benefit of others, like to tell other people's stories. So I think that's what I'm growing up to be. <laughs> I love it. It's such a beautiful vision. And I'm so glad you shared your passion just shines through. And, I'm, and I, oh. I think it's brilliant. I can, I do a lot of speaking for impact, um, at, but I'm not ever trying to get clients from it. I do it as, you know, a CEO who want, wants to make an impact. So I'm now here thinking about like, well, how could I use that to make it? How could I use a catchword to make a bigger impact? And like, what would that bring? You know, where for me, I, of course, would like to get more paid speaking gigs, but I'm not looking for clients or anything like that. So, yes. Well, that's a very common thing, right? So, so you have your keynote speaker who the revenue comes from being a keynote, but there's actually lost opportunity. If you, if you're keynoting for impact, mm -hmm. think of the impact that you could have if you just knew who was inspired in that audience, right? Because by knowing, by having a connection of all those people that were inspired, you could actually start thinking about like, how can I serve them better? Right. And it's interesting because some folks um, have thought like, well, I'm getting paid to speak, so I can't really do like a salesy lead generation thing. But that's, that's not what you're doing. What you're doing is saying, hey, I only have an hour with you. This is my message, but I have more to share. And if this inspires you, then I put together this guide on X, Y, Z or whatever, that, something that complements what your topic is so that they walk out like like feeling like, oh, wow, I not, I not only did I get the gift of hearing Carrie's message, but like now she gave me something to do about it. Right. But let's say if six months down the road, you're like, oh, I have 500 subscribers or a thousand subscribers. Maybe I just invite them to a second call and find out what they want. Yeah. What can I do? You know, and it gives you the opportunity. But if you don't connect with those people, then 
then you just have missed opportunity. And sometimes it's not that difficult to figure out what the follow-up is. Maybe maybe all of a sudden, like you have the validation for, you know, for a small course that you had wanted to put together because you want to put your your knowledge. It, like there might be something there. But the point is that you're doing the keynote speaking for impact. So this is just a way to extend your impact, the impact of that particular episode, that particular instance, but then to also have your list of subscribers to say, hmm, if there's another way that I can serve them, now I know who they are. I can invite them to this thing. You know, it could even make you more, um, a more valuable speaker because you have a subscriber list, right? So let's say if somebody invites you to something, you could say, oh, I will also be able to invite my subscriber list of 2,500 people that have been interested in this topic from my other experiences, right? So it's it's so much stronger than a follower. Like it's literally somebody that has had the opportunity to meet you. And they're opting in, right? They are truly opting in. Following on social media, it's easy to click, but you're not necessarily engaging, right? When you choose to text for more information, you're opting into um, you know, a, a, a relationship, so to speak, or, you know, at least some sort of, uh, additional engagement. So I love it. I think it's brilliant. I'm yeah. totally going to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I didn't mean to sell. It's just, I, I'm, you know, it, it was created for a reason and I'm passionate uh, about it. Um, and I, and I love, I love having somebody like email me and say, I got, you know, I got a hundred leads yesterday. And I'm like, Whoa, girl, you know, so it's it's really cool. Meanwhile, you know, 13 years ago, people were like, adults don't text. Oh, text. Oh my god, I was just telling somebody, I was like, it's so rude to leave a voicemail. Like if you can call me, that's fine. If you need to call and talk, I'm okay with a call. But don't leave me a voicemail. Hang up and text me. Yes, exactly. It's like, oh, it's so much harder to check the voicemail. I know <laughs> it is. Just text me. Oh my gosh. We yeah. oh my gosh, we have changed so much. But as a message too, what I, I what I would like people to receive from that, of course, like, can I share my guide? Yeah, can please. I, yeah. So to get this guide that I was talking about, how to transform your talk into a lead generating machine, you could just text leads L E A D S to four one one three two one. So text leads to four one one three two one four one one three two one is the phone number, and then it'll ask you for your email address um, if you're not in our system. And then as soon as you provide your email address, you'll get a confirmatory, like um, a confirmation text, and you'll get the email with an attachment. And so I could go on and on about the technology, but we do that on purpose so that somebody sees like, oh, I have an email with an attachment, which really helps to increase the awareness of the person because we get so many emails, right? So getting getting just an email with a with a hyperlink did not get as many open rates as an email with an attachment. So we purposely did that. But it's hard to actually get that through firewalls and all that stuff. So we worked really hard on on that. But the point is, text leads to four one one three two one, and one you'll you'll test out the technology, but you'll get this guide, and hopefully it'll help you in your next uh, speaking engagement. Just to start thinking about how to strategically optimize that that appearance. Love it. Okay, tell me it again a little slower. For sure. So leads L E A D S to four one one three two one. Perfect. Four, one, 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 three, two, one leads. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. I'm totally going to do it. Uh, you got this all day, but we're going to have to wrap things up. So tell me, I have, I have one final question that I always ask 
um, my guests before we end the show. And uh, it is the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. What does Reflect Forward mean to you? Mm. I think it's an opportunity to look at what you have experienced and use it as a catalyst to do better in the future. So true. So true. Oh, Wanda, it has been such a true pleasure to get to know you. You are such a fun guest. Thank you for just dropping all of your value bombs, as you like to call them. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I hope I was of service to the audience. Um, Just if you also remember, like if you created something and you had an initial vision for it, sometimes just be a little flexible with it. Let the market kind of speak to you. Sometimes you don't have to abandon it completely, but it's just maybe will come out a little bit different than what you expected. And um, for me personally, this is way more exciting than Ecofiles. And by the way, it's still it still can replace paper. <laughs> we, as a society, we kind of have a little bit of a, of a love affair with paper brochures and conferences. Um, but there's still an opportunity for, for that. Um, but for me as a personality, uh, improving how people can impact an audience by the way they present, but also by utilizing technology, um, is, is a really cool niche that I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have created. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. How can people find you? How can people find catchwords? Yeah. So of course you can go to catchwords.com. That's K-E-T-C-H-W-O-R-D-S.com. Um, but I highly encourage if you are interested to text leads to 411321. That gives us an opportunity, like me, an opportunity to serve you, to give you some additional content to think about your presentation. And then there's a link right there and you could get on my calendar. So if you want to talk about what you're currently doing and how it can, uh, how it can help, like we're launching programs for podcast hosts, for example, to integrate um, catchwords in in their uh, podcasts. And uh, there's just so many different ways that you can use the technology. So I always love a, a, a good conversation, a good brainstorming. Absolutely. I, I can see it in business. I can see it in all kinds of things. So very cool idea. Well, I'll include all that in the show notes as well, including the number to text to. Uh, and I am going to do it myself just so I can see how it all works. And Wanda, it has just been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. If you heard, if you stayed on this long. <laughs> uh, I'm sure they did. You're captivating. All right. Well, hang tight, everyone. I'll be right back. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that podcast with Wanda. Isn't she so much fun? Be sure to check out her podcast, Rocket Fuel, as well. All right. With that, I will leave you to your day. I hope you have a fantastic one, and I look forward to hosting you next week. And again, if you like this podcast, please write a review, share it, subscribe to it, tell a friend. I always appreciate it. It helps with the algorithms. Take care. Bye-bye.